Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community. Our discussions focus on various education topics and how they impact and empower teachers and students. Well, here we are again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Lessons from the Field. So glad you have joined us again this week. My colleague, Matt, again, is still on our campuses supporting teaching and learning there. Uh, We miss him dearly, but we know that his work is needed and appreciated, and the teachers and the students in the community are so glad that he's there to help support the work. This week, we are going to engage in conversation with our child support services team. We have a panel of five. This is one of our largest groups. I'm very excited about where these conversations are going to go. Very excited about the work that this team does for our teachers and for our community and for our counselors and everything. So as usual, to begin, I'm going to ask everyone to introduce themselves. And if you wouldn't mind telling a little bit about yourself. And Dr. Ross, I'm going to invite you to go first, please. All right. Good morning. Thanks, Mark. And thank you so much for having us here. I'm Jane Ross, and I'm the director of Child Study Systems. And that's what we call district-wide, our multi-tiered systems of support for students in a variety of areas. And so Child Study Systems is comprised of about seven departments, and we've got representation from some of our departments here. We've got Counseling, Crisis, Mental Health, the RTI, Multi-Tiered Systems of Support, Dropout Prevention, Recovery, Attendance, Um, learning support centers as an alternative to suspensions and supports for campuses, ECST development, and other areas that support those areas. So we think of ourselves as sort of student support services, and we're thrilled to be here. This is my 27th year in the district. Thank you, Dr. Ross, and we're just going to go Hollywood Squares. So Cherry, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and go next. Hi, I'm Cherry Lee, and I support the multi-tiered systems of support. We'll talk a little bit more about exactly what that means in a bit, but we have 15 coaches that work across the district at all the elementary, middle, and high schools to support wellness, academic, and behavior supports. Um, at that campus level. We also, you know, directly support the child study system team chairperson at each school. Typically, each school will have one, some have more than one, depending on the size of the school. And that person serves as either the counselor, the assistant principal, sometimes the principal across the district. Thank you, Cherry. And Pam, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and go next. Hi, I'm Pam Martin. I'm the elementary counseling coordinator for Austin ISD. I've been in the school district since 1990, um, and I have two lovely colleagues, Shakira Hamilton-Adams and Megan Butler. We support 219 professional school counselors who support our children every day. Thank you, Pam. And uh, let's go to Bertha next, please. Hi, I'm Bertha Ariano, and um, I am the admin supervisor for dropout prevention, recovery, attendance and truancy. And um, like Pam, I have um, a wonderful partner. Um, and she's a couple partner. And I have um, Nacelle Connor, who is a coordinator in my area. And she's fantastic. She helps with a lot of the training that we do. We're responsible for um, supporting all of our elementary, middle and high school campuses in the area of attendance and Um, We always hope to prevent um, filing for truancy, but sometimes that happens, so we provide training for 
that. Uh, we also have graduation coaches in our area, student graduation and attendance uh, support, tiered support coaches as well, and um, within our department. And then we have some folks outside of our department that we also support across the district. And I think, I'm trying to think, of, I think this is probably about my 10th, 11th year here in AISD, so I kind of lost track. Thank you, Bertha. And finally, Stacia. Hey there, my name is Stacia Bowley, and I support the PALS program for Austin ISD. PALS is a class that's part of in the TEA catalog, but it's populated with students who are really like self-selected student leaders. Um, and so I work with their teachers and their counselors um, to make sure that they're engaged in mentoring and service that supports their other students at their schools and the schools that they serve and that they're engaged in service that supports school climate. This is my 12th year in AISD. And right now we have over 60 campuses that have health programs. Well, you guys are sounding like quite busy with a lot of different projects and a lot of different ways that you support the work of the district. And so this conversation can go a lot of different ways, but I'll start with our standard first question. Some of the work that you guys are involved in right now to help support the teachers, the students, the families, and I'm not even sure, Dr. Ross, if, if you'd like to begin or if there's a direction oh, you'd like to. to go with this. Awesome. Happy to. This is Jane. You know, especially in this kind of new hybrid version where we have face-to-face -face learning and virtual learning, one of the big things that we've been doing lately is expanding our ECST, Electronic you know, case Advanced Case Management System tool, to really capture supports and services for students and families. So I just checked before this podcast, and we have 640,000, just from the past two months, entries of services and supports that have been provided um, so far this school year since, since the students came back. So we're really excited about that. As we know, you know, as Cherry mentioned, every campus has a child study team. And so we've really been working with campuses to help host those virtually because we don't want those meetings to stop because in some cases students are um, learning at home. And so we've been um, helping to host virtual child study team meetings. And, um, you know, just like you had mentioned, Mark, at the very beginning, that a lot of our staff, a high percentage are on campuses right now, you know, subbing for teachers, taking temperature checks, helping with dismissal and arrival and all the fun things that happen on, on campuses. We've got a lot of folks, um, most of our folks are out in the field helping the campuses directly. And if anyone else would like to add projects that you're working on to support the district. I can add something. This is Stacia. Bertha and I have been collaborating on finding ways for PALS to serve as a kind of tech support for their peers. So at some of our high schools, PALS will be holding office hours where um, students who are having a difficult time navigating platforms like Blend can log into a Zoom call and seek help from a peer who can kind of like walk them through and help them navigate. And we hope that this will create a consistent and approachable environment where students can ask for help without feeling like, I don't know, they're not succeeding in that little friendlier call, maybe. That's really cool. And I just want to say my own daughter was a PAL at Bowie High School and it was such an amazing experience for the PAL. So yes, the kiddos that are receiving supports for the PALs have an awesome opportunity for mentorship, but it also is an awesome opportunity for the PALs themselves to develop leadership skills as they move on beyond high school. And it really helped it gave her a lot of confidence um, in volunteering and in leadership. And as she moved on to college and post 
um, you know, K through 12 life, she took those skills with her and the relationships that she built as well with her, with her pals and her pal leader, like her pal teacher continues to be a mentor in her life. So it's really amazing how this program has, it just continues to support her as she moves through life. So this is Sam. I'm uh, the elementary counseling coordinator. And I just wanted to add a little bit about PALS. So the elementary counselors sponsored the PALS programs on our campuses. And so we have fifth graders who do service projects and also mentor younger students, usually kinder first grade students. And, and I agree with Cherry. It builds their sense of confidence and their social emotional learning skills. And it's an amazing opportunity. So we love power. Yeah. And just their empathy, their empathy. I mean, and I can tell you, my daughter had the opportunity to attend some speech therapy sessions with, with her pally. Right. And so, and you know, now she is in graduate school, finishing up graduate school to be a speech language pathologist. It was that instrumental on her, you know, development in her career path. So super important for the kids that are receiving the services, but also equally important for those kids that get to service pals. All kind of love here for pals. Quick question, Pam, if I understood you right, the elementary counselors are the ones responsible on the elementary campuses to kind of help. So what does that look like on a secondary campus? Is that also counselors? I'm no, um, usually once you get to middle school and high school, pals is a course with a TEA course code. And so there's a teacher who's assigned to teach that section. That person usually works closely with the campus SEL facilitator and other campus assigned SEL staff to make sure that PALS are amplifying all of the work that the staff are doing around SEL on a campus. And part of what we were trying to do before COVID is we were connecting with some of our staff in the, with um, dropout prevention, our um, graduation coach type role at some of the high school, a couple of the high schools and really trying to connect them with the course, with the teacher and just to provide that extra layer of support in even trying to find students to connect and um, and supporting some of the students who are needing more of it at tier the tier two tier three um, students and just kind of get any extra push that we can because it's such a great program. Yeah, Stacy here again. This is kind of an opportunity that we have, and I know that we'll probably speak Uh-oh. to things that are more pandemic specific later. But to really have a cohort of students who are able to function as like a nexus for all of the other supports to reach students who are considered at risk. So we have the traditional mentoring piece and then we have this community service piece that's always been really ephemeral. But what we're realizing is that there are so many places around any high school on any day of the week, pandemic or no, where really having someone show up to say, do you need help with that? Can I do that? Is absolutely helpful and doesn't really put students in a situation where they would be necessarily like acting inappropriately or violating confidentiality. Like there's just so much work that just can be done that helps free up adults who are in the system to do more of the really demanding work that they need to do. For example, pals who visit elementary schools and even fifth grade pals oftentimes function as like what would be the lower stakes lunch bunch. So all of those students who need a little extra check-in throughout the day can have it from another student. And that counselor is now free to handle things that really do require their needs much more acutely or require their attention more acutely. So it's nice that it's 
really, it's benefiting the students in so many ways, but it also sounds like it, it's helpful for adults on the campus as well to allow them to maybe focus on some other needs, not necessarily because the kids are able to help. That's great. Love hearing about PALS. I, I learned a whole lot. Cherry, with, with the multi-tiered systems of support, I would imagine your group has kind of got a lot going on here <laughs> with the summer and, and different things. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the work from your team? Sure, absolutely. So it's multi-tiered systems of support. That's a mouthful. We tend to go by the acronym MTSS. And it's just a term that encompasses all of the supports for the whole child, um, taking into account, you know, academics, behavior, social, emotional, wellness, attendance. You know, some states and even districts are referring to it as RTI. That was an older term, but it's still used, that response to intervention. And it really still means the same thing. I would say MTS is more inclusive of the social, emotional, and wellness supports for children that we're all about here, um, you know, in Austin ISD. And when you're thinking about multi-tiered systems of support, you're thinking about all kids receive really strong core academic and behavior supports. And then some kids need more intensification of supports. And like Stacia was talking about with the PALS, they're able to provide that extra touch point for kids. You know, and the adults, you know, the staff members are doing that too as supports become more intensified. Um, you know, that can happen through a smaller group size. So for instance, if a teacher um, is providing whole group instruction and she notices that some kids are needing additional supports, she might provide additional support in the form of a small group. She might provide um, additional reinforcement of skills by modeling those skills and then providing additional feedback, like corrective and affirmative feedback. Um, and she might provide more behavior supports. Um, and more feedback to students uh, and helping them take more um, ownership of their learning as well as helping them monitor uh, their learning. So all of those uh, supports are part of that MTSS framework. And Austin has recently adopted lots of new fabulous digital learning platforms like Map Growth and Map Read and Fluency, IXL, Imagine Language and Literacy and Imagine Espanol. And all of these programs uh, are really strong academic either assessment platforms or assessment and supplemental instruction platforms, but it does require, um, you know, a significant rollout and support for our campuses and our teachers and our students to be able to get on and utilize the platforms. So we've been working um, diligently to support campuses with that, as well as, you know, really the social, emotional, uh, and wellness needs of our kids, especially during the pandemic, um, as well as our staff members who need, you know, supports and training to build up their uh, abilities to support students in crisis. So we have some uh, really strong training right now through HCP on trust-based relational intervention, and then the neurosequential model in education, which those are, that's a lot of words right there. But I do encourage, you know, teachers in the district and staff members in the district who want to learn more to go on to HCP or to reach out to Dr. Terry Wood. Um, and several members of our team here on this podcast can also support that as well. I'd just like to add, MTSS coaches really have to be jacks of all trades. They work directly with teachers to help them out with their instructional practices and to help them kind of modulate the register of their classroom and create that supportive environment that we hope all of our students can learn in. They help teachers a lot oftentimes by just getting them to a place of more professional clarity. And they also support 
support students directly. So they have to have their chops in pedagogy. They have to have their chops in TBRI and NME. They have to have their chops in just like being a great relator to other adults in the system. So the impact of their reach ultimately always comes back to the student, but they touch just about every part of a school's ecosystem as they do their work. And, and one thing that we're implementing district-wide, and we have for a few years, and it's especially relevant this year, is TBRI and NME. That stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention and the Neurosequential Model in Education. And the MTSS coaches have all been trained in TBRI and NME, so they help provide that Camp, direct campus support for implementation. And the PALS program actually is one of the best examples of a trust-based relational intervention. Um, but it's the NME TBRI work that really connects directly with the counseling work. And that's led by Dr. Terry Wood. Yeah, I remember this was several years back when I first joined the professional learning team. I, I mean, I, honestly, I wasn't aware, not aware of the MTSS coaches and the work. And I had the opportunity to engage with them quite a bit when I was asked to provide some additional support for some new hires. And they are special people. All of them are just wonderful. It was a treat to work with them. So collaborative. And like you said, Stacia, I love jack of all trades. It's like, okay, we got to be able to be pretty knowledgeable in everything. So wonderful. Absolutely. I like to refer to them as like pediatricians of our educational system because they have <laughs> so many parts of the child. <laughs> I love it. So, so many pieces of what's been shared are also part of the structure of professional school counseling. We do follow a tiered model of service. And at tier one, we serve a hundred percent of our students. We serve them by helping to create positive culture and welcoming cultures, climate and cultures. And we do uh, lessons, classroom lessons with students on things from self-regulation to um, information about bullying, lots and lots and lots of different topics. And our main goal in school counseling is to provide mental wellness. So we help them understand themselves so that they can access academics and learning and be successful in college career and life. Um, I will say that we really embrace trust-based relational trauma-informed practices. We have about five counselors currently who are practitioners and 30 in training. So we really connect to neurosequential model for educators and trust-based relational intervention. Uh, we train through HCP and professional learning, all of our counselors on TBRI and NME, and we ground all of our work in that great foundation. We follow the American School Counseling Association model, as well as the TEA comprehensive counseling model, and we serve children at the universal level. And then at tier two, when students need additional help, we do things like lunch bunches. We assign them to pals. We find the mentors. We collaborate with our licensed mental health professionals. We support families, and we also look at their academic achievement. How are they doing? And what are some mental health and social emotional things we can do to scaffold so that they can access learning? And then when students need intensive help at tier three, we do individual counseling. And sometimes people don't realize that. We are actually mental health professionals who do counseling. When the counseling or the need moves into more of a clinical realm, then we collect collaborate and refer out. And at the very tippy tippy top of our tiers at tier four, we do a critical response. 
So if a student is having a mental health issue that is imminent, we help find them the appropriate level of service, which is sometimes hospitalization. And what I like to say about school counselors is we support children from the bottom tier up and back again. So we go up the tiers to four and we make sure that our students are supported when they return to our school all the way back down to that tier one. So they're getting all levels of service at all times. And those are 219 school counselors work really hard to support not only the students, the families, but also their colleagues. And that's an issue that we're talking about daily with school counselors is how do you support teachers? How do you support your administrators and families during this very unprecedented, uncertain time? So we're doing all of that in conjunction with our social emotional learning partners, our MTSS coaches, and our pals. And we couldn't do any of that if Bertha and her team weren't getting (laughs) our kids to the table. That's very true, Pam. And you do amazing work. And at a lot of our campuses, we actually, this is Bertha. Thank you, Pam. And we we do work in partnership with, especially at the secondary level, um, although we do have a truancy prevention grant where we have some um, social service specialists through a, a truancy prevention grant. And we have, we're serving, um, the grant is written for eight SSSs to serve 10 campuses with the LBJ and Travis um, vertical team. And so we serve certainly work in partnership with counselors with that role, with teachers with that role, and really looking at tier students in tier three attendance rates where they're um, zero to 59% attendance. Sometimes um, it's hard to, to reach out to the students and families when they're attending that low level, right? Because they've got typically really um, major obstacles going on in their lives. And so it takes a lot more time, commitment to work with families at that level. And so with the grant we're able to designate full-time at most of the campuses, the elementary campuses that we're working with. um, They're sharing a campus, two campuses, uh, or working with two campuses, and but the secondary ones are, are there full time and, and very needed because we do have some families um, and students who are attending in that lower rate, and that gives them the time to go um, deeper and really help with things like getting immunizations and helping to set up appointments and getting the students in, back into classrooms. Like Pam said, we've got to have them there to teach them to learn, you know, if they need um, some counseling and um, SEL and TBRI service. Well, they've got to be there to develop those skills and we've got to get them there first. And we have our graduation coaches and um, student graduation and attendance tiered support coaches who also work in uh, similar roles, not quite the same because they're also doing dropout recovery. So as students um, leave us trying to make sure that they get enrolled somewhere else as quickly as possible so that there, there aren't any education gaps for them. And then also, you know, recovering them back to, to a ISD if possible and making sure that they have the services they need when they re-enroll or, you know, any students who come into the the district who um, maybe haven't been in school for a while. And for example, right now, I mean, during COVID, we've had, we just finished our dropout recovery school start window. And we had a number of students who were not engaged. They weren't enrolled. We needed to re-enroll them. And then we figured out there was a digital literacy issue and um, some of them weren't, especially if they were new 
to middle school, um, new to the high school, new to the district, new to the country. You know, what? how do we make sure that they know how to get online? Um, and is that why they're not engaged? And, and as we re-enrolled students, we found that that was something that was needed. And we actually partnered with Learning Support Center teachers to help out at Navarro because they have, I, I believe in the district, they have the highest number of um, recent immigrants at their campus. And so they were really struggling with getting students onboarded. And so we worked with a couple teachers and um, we created the teachers from Learning Support Center. One of them um, created some training PowerPoint and we were able to use that to help onboard students. And now we're going to push, we're working on pushing that out to the entire district to be able to use that. And in fact, Stacia is going to be using that with the PAL students to help onboard and make sure students that they're mentoring, um, if they need any help like that, they can give them that assistance. So Bertha, do you, when you said students new to the country, even I would imagine you work with the district student support services. And um, we had somebody from multilingual a week or two ago, uh, Salima, who also was was working. And so you're smiling. We're in a podcast. They can't see you smiling. So you're familiar and you guys do collaborate to help families in those situations. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, I think one of the positive things that um, has come out of COVID is that we've all started using Zoom. And, you know, that's exhausting on one hand, but on the other, you know, it, it was not, I think, a tool that we really took advantage of before. And so over the summer, um, Leonor Vargas with Parent Support Specialists, she started setting up um, meetings every week or so and got together a bunch of folks that support parents and families. And that's how I got to know Salima and her work. And so we're, in fact, I, the next route for this um, PowerPoint that we created for onboarding students is to go to her office and get her to see it and see if we can get it translated into we'll see how many languages we might be able to do and create a parent version because this particular version that we created is more of an in-house version. So yeah, you know, it's it's trying to cover all the bases between parents and students and staff. You know, you know, it takes a team effort, something that has been a real positive. And then I also work with a district-wide attendance PLC that we had um, my brother's keeper and when Gear Up first started, um, asked us, Nacelle and myself, to start an attendance PLC. We had gone through some E3 Alliance attendance training, and that was one of the things they recommended. And so we got that started. And that's another one where, you know, through Zoom, it's a lot easier to invite more people to it. So we have Leonor, we have, so the parent support specialist represented there. MIS is on that committee, um, accountability. We have a high school principal, middle school office admin on there. I'm sure I'm forgetting some more folks, but a pretty uh, wide and strong representation just to, and right now really talking about Enrollment issues, anything um, related to attendance, enrollment, um, and at that committee, de-siloing, right, and really starting to brainstorm together. Like, um, for instance, um, Carolyn Hanshaw from the Accountability Office, we're trying to, our economically disadvantaged numbers are very low right now, and we need about 3,000 more students to, um, families to turn in um, paperwork, um, or not even paperwork. She made it really simple. She made it a survey. And so we just brainstormed this morning other ways to reach out to the families and um, worked collaboratively to, to think about that. And so um, that's something else we 
we have going on in our area. And I like the the de-siloing because as you were talking, that's exactly what was popping into my head. A lot of times, especially in a district this large, it's very easy for us to be very myopic and and not realize there are connections that are can and should be made. And so I'm very glad to hear that. As you were talking, Bertha, as well as what Pam was saying, that that's sort of going to transition us to the next wondering that I have is how have your jobs shifted with uh, the distance learning? What opportunities have you discovered? What challenges have you discovered? Because I mean, Pam was talking about, you know, counseling students. And I would imagine that your workload is probably one of some of the highest it's ever been, giving not just COVID, you know, race relations and everything else our country is going through right now. So I'm not sure, again, who would like to jump in first, but challenges, opportunities, y'all are raising your hand. I'm just going to mute and let someone jump in. I love it. I love it. I think Pam and I are probably going to say the same thing about the minute meetings. You know, normally she can give a lot more detail, but you know, one of the benefits of when, you know, non-COVID times is you're able to kind of do that, um, not the physical temperature checks, a different kind of temperature checks with students. You can kind of teachers and counselors and administrators on campus and TAs and cafeteria staff can kind of get a sense of something's not just quite right with the student. Let's check in. Or are you doing okay? Kind of the bumping shoulders in the hallway, the SRO officers just saying hi to their students and doing check-ins. You don't always get to do that at, you know, when it's virtual in the same ways. And so what we've committed to is having every counselor and, you know, and support staff that, you know, can help the counselors with this is reach out and hold a minute meeting with each student. Now, minute meeting doesn't mean it's 60 seconds, time's up, and we stop mid-sentence. It's this idea of with, you know, 80-ish thousand students that every student has that connection and those connections can prompt longer meetings, child study team meetings, um, wraparound services, or in some cases, almost an immediate um, crisis response. But I'll let Pam talk about that. So yes, so, so we started calling them mini meetings because they always last more than a minute. But it's a best practice that actually we started prior to COVID a couple of years ago. And it's just an opportunity for the counselor to get to know every single kiddo. So it's that tier one universal, how are you? You know, do you have friends? What are you thinking about for your future? And just a little snippet so that you have a kind of finger on the pulse. And actually, Zoom has allowed us to do that in in sort of an easier way. And sometimes those mini meetings become family meetings. And so you're learning a lot about not just the student, but the family system that they come from. And that's really, really helpful in a lot of ways. So our counselors, it's our mission to make sure that every student is checked on and connected with. And those, but connection is such a huge neurological need and premise that the pandemic kind of opened our eyes that we really need to do that in every school. A lot of counselors were doing them, but now all counselors are doing them. I will say too, one of the things that the pandemic has kind of pushed us into, which has been helpful, is we we do Zoom office hours for counselors. So we are reaching our counselors. Usually we'll do four to five professional learning opportunities where we see them, but we are now seeing our counselors weekly, and we offer these open times where they come and go, they ask questions, they talk to each other, they share 
Um, and it's been really powerful. So again, back to that additional level of connection. And I would agree with Bertha that it has also allowed us to kind of branch out and bring in our uh, technology coaches, our MTSS specialists, our SEL folks, bring us all together so that we're we're not duplicating, but we're complementing our service to children and family. And Stacia, I wonder if you could talk about, um, this is Jane, the PALS YouTube videos that the high school PALS are created for the elementary school PALS to help them with their math assignments and organization skills and reading and just even feeling good during a pandemic. So it's, yeah. it's kind of a nice benefit that's happened from the pandemic. I um, sure can. You know, um, one of the real limiters for PALS for a very long time was that we were relying on students to provide their own transportation to get from the school that they attended every day to the schools where they were providing mentoring. And so in this time, weirdly, Zoom has just obliterated that obstacle. So we're able to provide mentoring between levels in combinations that were just not possible before. And all of our high schools that were, you know, usually Title I where students didn't have access to their own cars were limited to where they could mentor based on where they could walk. And that's no longer an issue. So that's one thing that's really amazing. And we've been able to devise a system using Zoom where pals and pallies can meet in breakout rooms, but the counselor or pals teacher can kind of float among them. So it's still safe and monitored. So we're really able able to almost replicate what students were doing before. Additionally, we've had some amazing innovation happen among PALS and PALS teachers where schools are starting a YouTube channel where they'll have high school PALS who are like doodling or reading a book aloud that has an SEL theme or even um, I just recently saw one where a student uh, made a video of herself visiting a farm and she was like petting alpacas and, you know, just being able to share those experiences so that an elementary student can visit with their pal on their own time and on their own terms and just kind of have that sense of hanging out with them, even if the mentoring is happening happening asynchronously. So I don't know. I really, um, I really love that. I also want to say that there's been a really exciting opportunity to reframe how we approach training. So we used to just have this big half day training for elementary students and a half day training for high school students. And you would have like, like 500 kids come to the pack and it would be this like big rotation rodeo hullabaloo with breakout sessions. And then everybody back in the auditorium and then back to your school and then back on the bus. And the logistics of that were insane. And you really think about how much a student can retain amid that kind of a circus anyway. And now we have this opportunity where we can have smaller trainings that happen throughout the school year so that we can really beam in and get specific about what students need when they need it and do this like during their class. And I just love that we're able to offer them something that feels a lot more like professional mentor learning instead of something that's just kind of like, um, I don't know, you know, it was professional mentor learning, but it was also like a crazy field trip, you know? I think so I remember been... at least one or two of those at the pack when I was <laughs> at the Performing Arts Center. <laughs> They're very busy and very loud and really fun. And it's 
such a treat to see everybody. But I think that for practical learning, the way that we've learned to adjust now is probably going to endure beyond the pandemic, which is pretty awesome. And then I guess the last thing that I wanted to say was that, you know, again, in this paradigm, you have a whole school as a system and an organism thinking about how they're receiving students. And so there was an opportunity this year to really reinterpret on high school and on middle school campuses what a PAL can and should be doing to create a more positive school environment. And so at some of our campuses, we have PALS teachers who are collaborating directly with folks who, you know, work to support students in dropout prevention and truancy prevention and stuff to make sure that they're kind of like proactively creating relationships with students who are in the ninth grade or in the sixth grade who may or may not have had a great relationship with their coursework at the end of last semester. So just making sure that those students are getting a little attention and someone is saying like, hey, I see you. I can't wait to see you in person. How's your schedule? What are you struggling with? I know like at Lamar Middle School, they just started doing um, the Breakfast Club where once a week they have a positive check-in between pals and their sixth grade pallies just to kind of get a read on how everybody's doing that week and to get at least one day a week started off really strong with a sense of community. And just it's something that would not necessarily have happened if there wasn't what we're in. Aisha, I want I would love to see if on those days that the attendance if attendance is higher for those students when that happens. <laughs> I think I know where to look. <laughs> Yeah, that would be great. I bet you it is. That is so true. And I think, you know, something that the pandemic has brought us is the ability to host meetings with AISD staff virtually and still create community and still create collaboration. You know, pre-post or pre-pandemic, we were trying to get people together in one spot, which is really tricky with Austin traffic, right? It's not easy to get anywhere, everyone to a specific spot especially if it's just an hour or two meeting and you spend an hour driving and you spend an hour getting back to your home campus. So I think this has actually, you know, fostered a sense, hey, we can get together, we can do it virtually and we can, you know, uh, we can message that out and encourage people to not feel like they're working on islands, but bring and them to be productive too. I mean, yes. we've seen to be productive at a distance and remote. I was going to say too, I think that that I heard from principals too um, in working, you know, having social workers through the grant at L elementary campuses that I heard from a couple elementary principals that they were having and middle school um, surprisingly better um, success at trying to have Zoom meetings with their parents than trying to get them to come up and that the parents really liked it. They could do it on their phone. It was flexible for them. They could do it at lunch or they could take a break and have a quick meeting with them. And then we also started, we were through the grant, we were working on positive home visits. And because we went into this, you know, remote remote learning in the late spring, we went ahead and turned that into a virtual positive home visit model and through the grants. And we had really great success with it. And we have a a protocol that we created and we have it in a Google doc that um, survey form that um, whoever's going through that at home with or not at home, but through the virtual call, either through a phone call or through a Zoom, you can document the information you're learning. And we planned on those visits being about 30 minutes and planning the meetings. But most of the parents just wanted to talk right then and there at the moment and go through the the questionnaire with the person on the phone or face-to-face and ended up, most of the meetings ended up being like 45 minutes to an hour because the parents really enjoyed talking about their visions, hopes, and dreams for their children and having somebody from the school 
want to hear about that and connect with them at that level because we're really trying to work with tier three attendants. You know, there's kind of that assumption of some disenfranchisement and just trying to reconnect them and get them engaged back at the school level. Well, thank you all for sharing. It sounds like we're putting as, as positive a spin as we possibly can and found a lot of benefits that even if we ever get back to whatever normal is, some of these strategies and protocols may continue because it's it's what's best for our community. I have just one more semi-brief question for y'all, and then we're going to probably start wrapping it up. So particularly from a teacher, counselor point of view, we probably have a lot of later hires or new hires in the district, or we have folks that are in just very different emotional places right now than they ever have been before. So if I'm one of those staff members, how do I go about reaching out to your department to figure out what kind of support is available to help me as a teacher, to help me emotionally, to help my kids? What what does that look like? Where can I go? How does that happen? Pam and I, I'm going to let Pam go. She'll have a, I think I know where Pam's going with this. (laughs) So we started with the TIP program. We initiated all of our new elementary counselors and middle and high school counselors in like over the course of five days, about a one and a half day kind of immersing in this is what school counseling is. This is what it looks like in Austin ISD. And then we train counselors once a month, all the new counselors. They are all assigned a mentor and they have a new counselor lead that they can reach out to. And then they have me. So we have tiers, layers of service. And then we also do an open hours just for new counselors. And actually this year, we're doing that also for second year counselors because they were like, we didn't get to finish. We stopped in March. So, so there's a lot of layers of training and then mentoring and support that's ongoing. We've created through teams, teams groups, and just lots of like conversations and collaboration is happening. So we, that's how we support them. They can reach out to us pretty much morning, noon, and night just for for additional support. So that's what we do. And across the whole district, in terms of teachers, counselors, really any staff member, um, we have a a tile in the portal. So it's the child study systems tile that has contact information for all of us and a lot of resources. It's an internal site um, of support. So it has different resources and links and log on information, but also, you know, if someone has attendance questions or, you know, they could reach out to Bertha, if they're like, who is my MTSS coach? They can connect with Cherry and really any of us would direct them to the right person. So if they reach out to station, she's like, you know, that's more of a Pam question or Pam, you know, we, we're very collaborative. And Linda Burleson, who's, who oversees our learning support centers, sometimes teachers, um, feel stressed when they, you know, are trying to support students with myriad needs and and need some, you know, certified teachers to come in and just really help and provide that additional level of support for students, you know, with intensive needs that we're happy to be there. So it's the child study systems tile that's in the portal and, or you can look any of us up, Jane Ross, Pam Martin, Cherry Lee, Stacia Bowley, Bertha Ariano. And like I said, we can point you to the right person if it's not us, if it's not one of us. And also I'm going to ask Pam if she would talk about EAP for just a few moments because that's not housed within our department but it's a resource for all staff in the district a very comprehensive resource for um if you just talk a little bit about the services and what eap is it's the education employee assistance program but what it is we 
work very closely with our wellness coordinator, Stephanie Hawkins, and EAP provides support for our staff, faculty and staff members who are who needed some additional counseling. We also utilize them when there has been a critical incident on a campus. If we've lost a faculty member, they will often come and do and help us in our grief responses. So they are invaluable. So EAP will provide four counseling sessions per family member. So the, the service uh, expands from the employee to their family, and it's four per family member per issue. So you may have an issue in September with adjustment, but then in January, you're feeling anxious. So then you get four more. So it's really quite a fabulous benefit. And while the school counselors and the licensed mental health professionals support their colleagues, when it moves again to a more clinical level need, then we pull in and recommend and refer them to our EAP. And I just have to shout out to Stephanie Hawkins. Yes, She is such an incredible partner and uh, we couldn't do our jobs without her. And EAP also provides like referrals and, and like legal supports and help and financial supports. We know during the pandemic, sometimes some of our staff have financial or, you know, concerns or questions, or they may have spouses or significant others who have lost income. So they just help with a variety of legal services in addition to what Pam described. We I echo her praise of Stephanie Hawkins. We could not do this without her. Yeah, Stephanie's wonderful. You actually maybe triggered somebody else we need to interview here on this podcast. Oh, she'd be great. She'd be great. And I'm sorry if you said this, but the EAP, there is a website, if I recall, and I'll look that up and I'll make sure that's in our show notes. It should be on the benefits page, I believe. It's on the left on the benefits page. Yep. Awesome. Thank but you. I'll- I just wanted to add on austinisd.org slash PALS, there's a list with contact info for everybody who's supporting a PALS program across the district. So if there's an elementary teacher listening who wants to know who's facilitating PALS at their feeder high school or middle school, they can just look there and see if there's someone who they can reach out to. In fact, I just heard yesterday that there's some great collaboration happening between Hart and Dobie, and that's just counselor to counselor reaching out. So if anybody's listening and wants to know who's who, that's where you look. Thank you all for sharing that. I appreciate that. It's good to know that we have these kind of resources available for our community, teachers, families, and everything. Um, so I'm going to take a left turn. I'm going to ask you at least one or two questions that I did not provide you ahead of time. I don't want you to think very hard about these questions, though. So just sort of the first thing that pops out of your head. And we'll go ahead and follow the same way that Hollywood Squares order that we introduced yourself. So Dr. Ross, I'm going to invite you to go first. And that question is this, when we know it's 100% safe, we know we do not have to wear masks. We know we do not have to physically distance. It's scientifically proven. What's the first thing that you want to do? Oh, I want to go through a drive-through and just order food. I'm one of those people who we've been so careful, like we're probably, you know, with our gloves and wiping things down. My husband's very high risk. So, um, and so we're extra careful. I just want to just drive through and like get a taco or get a burger. And also on the campuses, the hardest thing, the hardest thing is social distancing, especially with the itty bitties, the ankle huggers. Um, that's just the hardest thing because, you know, you're trying to make sure that the student feels, you know, your connection and care, uh, you know, even when you're making sure that we're keeping each other safe. So those, um, those special moments um, where you get to connect with students, you know, closer than six feet. I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, and that, and that taco or, or <laughs> drive-through meal. Awesome. Thank you, Jane. Cherry? I, 
definitely think it's going to be to actually meet my team all together in person. <laughs> I started this job during the pandemic and I can't wait just to have just a get together where everyone can come together, be it at, at my home or at a restaurant or whatnot, that we can just, you know, break bread and celebrate and really get to know each other. Um, not that virtual isn't, uh, isn't a great way to communicate, but it is nice to see each other face to face. Thank you, Cherry. Pam. I want to hug people. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to to hug people again. And also, I agree with Cherry. It's so powerful to be able to be together for professional learning opportunities, to collaborate, to share, to be creative. So I'm looking forward to seeing people in person and share knowledge in person. But we'll keep doing Zoom too. We do hear a lot of hugs. We have a lot of huggers that are on our podcast. And I understand that. Thank you, Pam. Bertha. Um, yeah, a bunch of educators, right? That want to create, create and build relationships. I have to say that too. It's really, I think it's really awkward even to meet new people and keep your distance and try to build rapport. But um, I think the first thing I always think of is being able to go like to Doc's backyard outside on the patio with other friends and families and have our kids run around with their friends and the adult just hang out and enjoy each other's company and not think about social distancing or just even being able to go out together again you know I can't wait for that day I look forward to that and in pretty weather like we're having right now I really miss being able to do that for sure and finally Stacia oh I have two. One, I really love a high school basketball game. <laughs> and now it's off the table, you know, but I am so looking forward to being able to go to student athletics events again and just see kids really um, like trying and collaborating in real time. It just makes me so happy. Um, but also I would definitely go to Deep Eddie like right off the bat, you know, take my husband and my kid, get in the pool, swim around, crowds be darned. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, my second totally out of left field question. And actually, I'm going to go in reverse order. So Stacia, we just heard from you. I'm going to ask you to go first on this one. Uh, your favorite Austin restaurant? Ooh, that is tough. You know, I think right now it's probably the El Dorado Cafe. Mm. It's on Anderson Lane. And one of the things that I love about it is that like half of the staff work, goes to school at McCallum. So it's like all neighborhood kids who are just, you know, part-time working. The owner is a really lovely family. So El Dorado, yeah. and you said it's off of Anderson Lane. It is. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Really good. I vouch for that too. <laughs> <laughs> Bertha, is that your choice or would you like to contribute a different one? You know, yeah, there's one more in my hood that it's called, um, Cruz Teca, and um, they have really good chicken mole sauce, and that's really hard to come by at most restaurants, most Mexican restaurants, and theirs is really good, kind of spicy, and still kind of sweet, so I love getting enchiladas, or mole enchiladas from there. Are there multiple so, locations? I'm, I think I've seen it, but I can't remember. I, I think that they only have the one, and it's, uh, what is it, in Sunset Valley, where um, not far from Tarka, 
if you know Docs, Targa, it's right around around okay. there in Thank that you. shop. Thank you, Bertha. Pam. I have to say Jack Allen's Kitchen in Oak Hill, my favorite place. It's a great porch. That is fun to visit. Thank you, Pam. Cherry. Ooh, I do like Jack Allen's as well, but I like Opa's on South Lamar. And it is actually a yummy, yummy, yummy little Greek dive and wonderful pizza and Greek meatballs and the best like hummus you could ever dream of. So that's my first choice. And Jane? I would pick, this is hard. I'm starving now, guys. Now we're getting lunch. Oh my goodness. You could be a, you could be a DJ, a radio DJ. I I love your, I love the way you connect so naturally. I just love it. Um, I would pick actually Din Ho Chinese barbecue. They have, I see station on it's like authentic Chinese food. It's it's wonderful. They have a, a wide variety of great things. And then some of the tables are the rotating tables where you, you've got the kind of like the lazy Susan in the middle. So it's family. St- it can be family style. And you yeah, so I'd say Din Ho. It's uh, um, by the Target on um, 183 in Olin. Okay. It's so good. Sure, sure. I think. What would you pick? What's your favorite? We had, it's 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 tough right now. It is. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Bob, we had Sarah and Bavu from our CP&I department. I think Bavu mentioned that same restaurant, Jane. So cool. I, I love that. I'm trying to remember back to that. I mean, Maudie's, Um. So, and see, now you know, Cherry, what restaurants y'all can go to when you can finally get out together as a team, you have several from which to choose. So exactly, exactly. Love it. A real treat to spend uh, this time with you this afternoon our child study systems team. As, as always, I, I enjoy conversations. I feel like we work very closely together, but the conversations we have, I always learn things. I'm, I was taking notes on ways we can connect our work even more and folks we need to reach out to. And so we do appreciate very, very much everything you do for our district, for our teachers, for our staff, for our families, for our communities. It's crucial. It's important. And uh, we appreciate y'all very, very much. Thank you, Mark. And we appreciate you, man. This was great. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District. Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.